So, I've recorded this episode and I've purposely taken a few days to let it settle um, at the expense of being true to my word and my intentions and getting it out on time, uh, maybe losing some of my listeners' faith in me being uh, diligent and, uh, and all that. But the reason being that, as you're about to hear, I cover some... I get talking about home and various reasons why I was angered by it and wanted to leave brings up some topics that get me angered. Um, you know, I try to curb that, but I'm human and that's who I am. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I try not to let it, um, get the best of me, but for the sake of painting the picture here, um, I feel like I should present it to you unedited. Um, and trust me, I thought about, man, what are people going to think? Is this going to, you know, are people going to talk about this? And is it going to hurt my, uh, reputation? But, uh, I said, screw it. You know, I got to be real here. As I said, uh, in the last episode, I'm going to go for the jugular and, and, and face real things and emotions. And hopefully, um, the show will be interesting because of that. So, in a way, this episode is kind of like a form of therapy, allowing me to get certain things off my chest, but by no means am I trying to hurt others or damage their reputations or anything. I'm just, it's part of my story. It's part of why I felt repelled from Miami, and in particular, as you'll see, the film scene there. Because, I, you know, I wanted to. I hit the ground running, and it really just took it out of me. Um, but I don't mean any harm, or I, I don't, I don't, I've written these people out of my life, so I don't really care uh, to damage them. I just It's just the story, so keep that in mind. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I hope, I just, I, just, I, I want to, be clear with everyone here, you know, I'm not trying to, uh, uh, the tone for this episode is not going to carry through the rest of the podcast, I hope. Um, I think next episode we'll return to, uh, to a field recording, even though it's a hundred degrees out, um, and just try to brighten things up a bit. But, you know, for the sake of painting the picture, here we are. You know, I haven't been home to Miami now since February. So that's, you know, February, March, April, May. You know, it's four or five months. And because it's the longest I've been away from home since I moved back home, I think there's no better time for me to discuss home than now um 
you know, in order to see something, it helps to have to see something clearly. It helps to have some distance from it. And this is the most distance I've had in a very long time. So hopefully I can do justice to my intentions and lay down a good episode for you. Miami, man. I guess the first thing to say is I love Miami. You know, I miss Miami. I want to go back to Miami. I really do. Um, I've been telling people, you know, I, I got to get things locked down uh, another couple weeks, another couple weeks, and it turns into months. It's been hard for me to get to get out of here, mainly because, you know, I hold myself to a high standard with the animals. I don't want to leave them in the care of others so readily. Um, and, you know, I want to be here for them. It's my... It's something I put a lot of work towards, and it pays off for me. Like, my chickens now are, they're still adolescents, right? But they're sizable chickens, and they're freaking awesome. My neighbor Kevin, who's had countless chickens on this property um, that have all, you know, died over time, gotten killed, um, he looked at my chickens, he said, man, these are like, you must be getting chickens that are better than mine because mine are always scraggly and looking weird. I said, yeah, you know, I raise them from chicks. He never raised his from chicks. And I think it probably makes a big difference. You know, I remember each individual one. I only have four now. Right. But I remember each one, uh, as, as a little, as a little chick. It's really, it's really amazing. So, so yeah, so I haven't been home and, I want to go home. I love Miami. I particularly love Miami during the summertime. I think it really is the best time to be there. Um, a lot of people leave for whatever reason. Um, for good reason, probably. A lot of people leave. So it's quieter. Uh, no school zone traffic. And surprisingly, like a lot of people don't realize like the... Hang on, adjusting the mic here. A lot of people don't realize that uh, it doesn't actually get that hot. Like, it's hot and humid, sure. But we have the Gulf Stream, you know, and the Gulf Stream keeps things uh, pretty, pretty, uh, keeps things under 100, 100 degrees, tell you that much. So that's good. You know, as long as you're by the water, man, I feel for the people who live inland in Miami, man, that's no fun. That's probably more like up here. You know, up here it's... Today was a nice windy day, but uh, it's just stagnant heat out here in the woods, you know? It's tough here in the summer. I mean, I don't even go out in the middle of the day unless I have to. uh, Lately. And so while I'm on that, I mean, man, I've been sleeping a lot during the day. You know, I wake up in the morning, I do what I need to do, I get things done. And then just the heat takes it out of me. I'll take an hour nap feel like I'm getting a gut because I'm not out working as much you know which is fine I kind of knew that that would be happening it's summertime I gotta chill out um man I've been going to the Waffle House like nearly every day so that probably is also contributing to the little the little uh punch that we see developing here but yeah I mean summer in Miami it's like the most romantic time in Miami I always feel like I thrive in Miami summers. Because, you know, you got to embrace that tropical kind of vibe. I smoke up my cigars, you know, have a nice rum drink, feel that sea breeze. 
you know, unbutton the shirt kind of deal. Love it. I love it. Florida, Florida living, you know, coastal Florida living, man. That said, so, so I love Miami. I think Miami's like geographically, what it, like the natural part of Miami, like where it is, what it is, where it's situated. It's the most special place in the world. I mean, Biscayne Bay is a gem. And there's no city that's literally on an aquatic playground that I know of. Um, in the free world, you know, or in any world. I mean, I'm sure there's something that's similar, but it's Miami in America. We're in America. We're in uh, literally just just warm, easygoing, protected waters. It's, it's a playground. It's amazing. And then on the other side, you got the Everglades. I mean, a lot of people don't think about it. Miami is surrounded by two national parks for a city of that size to be bordered by two national parks like that I mean it's unheard of um it's maybe it's heard of I don't know I haven't done my research on that maybe it's heard of but it's definitely special um so yeah Miami is just an amazing place um it's my home it's my home it's you know, I guess I should get into the topic. Like, this kind of was going to be something, and it, maybe it is something I'll revisit if I ever do the episode on my relationship with Judaism, which I probably will, and my understanding of being a, an American Jew and being an American, period, um, and how all that plays together. But part of it is my feeling that I am a son of the land that I was born on and grew up in. You know, this is controversial amongst Jews that feel that, many Jews feel that our homeland is, you know, way out there. Um, I disagree. Personally, my homeland is right here in the state of Florida. Reason being, in my lifespan... I grew up smelling the smells of these swamps, these the soil down here, you know, uh, touching these plants. You know, I know all these plants from childhood. I see these things, you know, hearing the bird calls. I feel attached to the natural world of Florida. And it really extends to the, to the southeast to a, uh, to a good degree and, and particularly the Gulf Coast. Um... I feel like anywhere in my travels, anywhere I go in that area, I really feel at home. Um, and that extends to America. I mean, I feel at home anywhere in America, to be honest with you. Uh, oddly enough, maybe not in the big cities so much, but anywhere in normal America, I feel at home. But but yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is like the natural world that I grew up in is what I identify with. That's who I am. You know, that's what I feel. You know, when I think back to my childhood, that's what I think of a lot of times. And I guess what I'm playing on, I mean, the main difference between me and uh, the other Jews that, I'm not saying I'm the only one. I mean, you know, it seems that most Jews that I know are... 
their foundation for who they are is rooted in their ancestral and biblical kind of lineage, which is great. Uh, if I mean, if that's for them, that's awesome. If that enriches your life, cool. But um, it never, it just seemed false for me. I mean, I know that, yeah, somewhere down the line, of course, that's in my past. And, and there's, and I'm not saying it doesn't play into my life at all. But I, I am rooted more in my Americanism and American mythology, you know, because that's the culture I grew up with, um, predominantly. You know, the frontier is baked into my uh, my my entire foundation. The, you know, dressing up as a cowboy, you know, with a cap gun as a kid, gangsters and cops and all of these things uh, that are part of the American kind of um, palette. Those are the things that I that I feel are my home, my my rootedness, um, not some abstract history uh, of, of of migration of people and religion and eh, not yet at least. <laughs> so so yeah, this is this is my home. I, I belong here more than anywhere else. Oh. Ringle, wrangle, jing-a-jong, jangle A mighty fine horse, I'm in love, of course Cause I got me a pretty woman's love Oh, ringle, wrangle, jing-a-jong, jangle A mighty fine horse, I'm in love, of course Cause I got me a pretty woman's love With a dollar's worth of beans, a new pair of jeans Got a woman to cook and wash and things Ringle, wrangle, jing-a-jong, jangle <laughs> And if I die, I ain't a-gonna cry Cause I got me a pretty woman's love Yes, I got me a pretty woman's love Ringle, wrangle, jing-a-jong, jangle I got me a pretty woman's love Ringle, wrangle, jing-a-jong, jangle A mighty fine horse, I'm a love, of course Cause I got me a pretty woman's love With a dollar's worth of beans and a new pair of jeans Got a woman to cook and wash and things Ringle, wrangle, jing-a-jong, jangle and if I die, I ain't gonna cry Cause I got me a pretty woman's love Yes, I got me a pretty woman's love Yes, I got me a pretty woman's love And that, I owe that a lot to Miami I mean, I, I, was, I spent a lot of time outside um, I grew up kind of in the suburbs. We had a yard, and I treated that yard like it was the wilderness. <laughs> I was kind of training myself for what I'm doing right now. I would try to start fires. You know, I didn't go. We didn't go camping as a kid, as I've mentioned before. So I would try to start fires. In fact, funny story. I remember the one time my dad took me. Oh wow, this would be a nice little shout out. My dad took me on a um, 
like I wasn't a Boy Scout, but I tried to be one for like a month, maybe a couple weeks, Cub Scout, maybe. And my dad tried to take me on a field trip and uh, we were out at some some place in the woods or something in South Florida and uh, my dad linked up with another friend of his, um, I guess his name's Andy Drucker, whose son David is a musician that I ended up linking up with, uh, you know, we grew up together and we ended up recording a little bit and I played live with him at uh at sweat records in miami um but i remember it was he and i as kids kind of both like maybe nebbish like little jewish kids like feeling really you know and, and our dads are both city i'm not sure where his dad grew up but i would imagine not very comfortable in the outdoors <laughs> and uh i think my dad my dad definitely wasn't comfortable with all the cobwebs and insects everywhere in this bunkhouse that i very vaguely remember and uh, we didn't spend the night. My dad packed us in and said, we're out of here. <laughs> so that was my uh, Boy Scout experience. But uh, so shout out to uh, um, David Drucker, uh, Painted Faces. Check him out on uh, Bandcamp or whatever. Um, or on my SoundCloud. I have a, I have a little uh, live recording he and I did together. In fact, here's a clip right now. You know, listening back to this, how raw it feels. And I'm just transported back to the room where this recording took place. My parents, uh, my old bedroom, my parents' old house. We were both back for like, I don't know, we were both back for winter break or something. And we had like a quick couple hours to get together and throw something down. We were both kind of starting uh, our own recording projects, and it was amazing. Like, we'd never, we hadn't hung out in forever. And though the recording's not the highest quality, I feel like we really snapped right into it without any practice. We, we, had, we hit some pretty, some pretty heady moments. Um, so, yeah, cheers to David. He's really grinding, grinding hard on the... Uh, underground kind of recording scene over there so yeah you know a lot of you know people talk about the other Miami which is like the Miami I just described but when most people think about Miami they think about very glitzy kind of nightlife party uh, very club kind of vibe um, Miami you know, Miami Vice, Miami. And it's weird, you know? I feel like there's definitely a culture of unfriendliness. There's a culture of uh, hyper uh, self-centeredness. Um, and it's pervasive. There's a lot of angry people running around. And you become one of them if you're not careful. 
Uh, you see it on the roads all the time. I was just talking today with my neighbor. We were driving around Deland and uh, saying how, you know, you could be sitting at a, at a street light and wait for five seconds if you, if, you know, you don't start moving immediately, no one's going to honk at you. In a situation where I might have honked at someone in Miami, I find myself holding back and, you know, a person sees that screen eventually and moves on. And that may sound like a silly nitpicky thing, but it really does, it makes you tense. It makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable, I should say. And maybe people deal with it and don't realize it or whatever. But I, it's that kind of mentality, rush and go and fuck you and all that is pervasive. And I didn't like it. Um, I, mainly because I saw myself becoming like that. You know, when I was last home, out here I'm used to like, if I walk past someone on the street or connect eyes or something, you say, hey, how you doing? Kind of thing. Or at least you wait, you say hello, whatever. And when I was last home, I remember I took a walk with my dog first thing. I got home around my neighborhood, Coconut Grove. And first person I saw was like, hey, how are you? Just a stranger. And the person like looked at me funny and just like moved on. And it sucked, right? It's kind of funny, but it sucked. And from then on, I didn't say hello to anyone. I said, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not going to take that chance to be friendly again. Fuck that. And then I walk past someone, I don't say hi, and they say, man, people don't say hi here. You know, you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's a cycle, and it sucks. And it takes a lot to be strong. God bless you guys that are strong enough to be like, fuck it, I'm going to be like militantly nice and go out of my way to like be real nice. And I, I did that to a degree, but at a certain point, it's like, man, like to what end? To what avail? Like you got to get some of it back. And I really didn't feel like I was. A big part of my original taste of this kind of mean side of Miami. What originally, you know, I came in kind of hopeful. And I still am like that. I'm blindly hopeful a lot of times. I, I, I feel that I try to avoid being too cynical. I still have hope that people can uh, be generally good to each other, be generally good, period. And so I came in kind of with that mentality. So I, if, when I came back to Miami, I started a film series uh, called Gutter Films. You know, I just started it. Um, I had the help of uh, a few friends that had started this thing called uh, The Lab Miami. Um and one of the founders there, this guy named Weefy, uh, I don't know if he listens to this, but if he happens to listen to it, what up, Weef? Uh, great dude. Top-notch dude. And when he was kind of uh, cooking up this idea for this kind of art co-working space, um, he had asked if I'd be interested in doing some film stuff there. And what came of that was Gutter Films. Um where I was showing, like, bad movies, sometimes good movies, like B-movies and cult films uh, from the 60s, 70s, and 80s to people for free. Because I liked doing it, because I wanted to share these things, and no one was doing it in Miami uh, on a public scale. 
and I noticed that, you know, I had come from LA where I was going to these screenings a lot, um, at the new Beverly and various, you know, Cinefam, I volunteered at Cinefamily and I was doing stuff like that. And when I moved back to Miami, there was nothing like it. So I started it and initially before I started at the lab, I had reached out to the kind of, um, uh, leading independent cinema in Miami at the time and to this day. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and just friggin' name drop it, whatever. I mean, I don't give a shit at this point. Um, I reached out to O Cinema and its founder, and he didn't know me. I didn't know him. And I just said, hey, you know, I see what you're doing at O Cinema. It's cool. I noticed that you don't do anything kind of like this. I had this idea. Um, maybe we could, maybe you'd be interested. Maybe we could meet and talk it over. And eventually, I, you know, I finally got a response from him. I mean, O-Cinema is a independent, you know, uh, grant-funded cinema. And they claim to be, you know, um, representing Miami's independent film scene. And they have events that, I'm not trying to trash the whole, well, I don't like the place. And I don't like the leadership. I'll put it that way. Uh, but there are good events that come through there. Um I really like, I'm not going to move to LA, you know, Jose and, and Diliana and them, they do freaking cool event and that's like right on stuff. And they've been incredibly nice and supportive. I mean, they, they're a model for how the community should be opening its doors friendly to everyone, uh, sharing, you know, that's what it should be about. You're Miami. You're not LA. Um, Bring, right, bring each other up. Don't hold each other down. And what I experienced at with Ocinema, which I'm going to tell you, was awful. Uh, it was seriously disheartening. It was uh, disenchanting. You know, it, it put a bat, super bad taste in my mouth. And I'm going to tell you real quickly. I reached out to uh, Kareem. Um, he initially told me he wasn't interested... I believe, and then agreed to like have a meeting with me, uh, stood me up twice, two meetings in a row, uh, day of, canceled on me day of, uh, I kept going back and saying, you know, he was the, the, you know, he was kind of running the, the cinema in town, which is where I wanted to bring my event or start my event really. Finally met with him the third time. He wasn't interested. All right, great. Cool. So the lab thing happened. I started it. Um, uh, my lovely friend Brianna Sati uh, was working at the New Times at the time. Wrote a great piece on our, on our, I guess second month of screenings. Kind of got a little attention. Um, showed a bunch of cool movies at the lab. It was great. It was at this new space, the Winwood Building. This is kind of like uh, Winwood was still like kind of a small community. You know, we'd go to the Wood Tavern after each screening, have a good time. It wasn't slammed with a ton of people. It was just, like, really a really good time. But as soon as I got attention, the cinema and the people behind the cinema that initially shot down my event, didn't want anything to do with it, started their own copycat event. I forget what it was called. Some bullshit. And it sucked and failed I think after a month or two <laughs> and I kept going and I kept going strong and then of course after their bullshit failed 
they had the balls to call me and say, hey, would you mind bringing your event to us? And that pissed me off, and I mulled it over for a couple days, and I didn't know how to respond. I was caught between saying, you can go fuck yourself, and being in the hard place of realizing, hey, wait a minute, this if I care about my event, which I did, this is a good opportunity. You know, O Cinema is the leader in Miami for independent cinema screenings. You know, this is good exposure for me. This will, this is where I can reach the largest audience. So I accepted. So for a few months there, uh, I was showing two films at the lab and another film each month at O Cinema. And man, those guys suck. <laughs> they really suck. Their cinema sucks. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. I haven't been since since I stopped doing that. So maybe they. I know they invested some money into improving their, their deal. They were always having technical difficulties. Okay, their presentation sucked. Their audio sucked. Okay, they were super unprofessional. I heard them talking shit about other people in the office all the time. You know, just bad. Just a bad vibe. Like, not what you want to see in a small community. It's Miami's film community is small. Like, <laughs> there's no room for shit like that. There shouldn't be. Unfortunately, it seems like there's no room for anything else. There's only that. I'll touch on kind of a couple things that are that are hot topics politically I didn't feel at home I was constantly being lambasted if I ever shared political views I was not around like-minded people nearly ever and I felt ostracized because of that I felt alienated because of that Um, I have some pretty conservative views I love America. I love American culture. I believe in American and American cultural superiority. I really do. <laughs> um, I think it's. Cl- I think the evidence is pretty clear. Uh, but that's fine. I mean, you don't. You want to disagree? That's great. Um, but I felt by expressing that I was written off as. Uh, damaged goods or unwanted in a lot of Miami scenes. And I heard chatter that, you know, like, oh, people telling friends of mine that they shouldn't hang out with me because of certain things. 
That's like really, that's fucking nasty stuff. Like, don't hang out with me if you don't want. Don't try to freaking influence people to say, oh, this dude's a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy. So, yeah, I mean, just, just, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is I felt alienated in Miami. I felt like on top of all this just like nasty culture, I, I felt that I didn't belong ever. You know, very rarely did I feel I was with kindred spirits, you know, and, and that's the weird thing is my home to feel that in your home. Like, it's just, it's weird. It was a weird feeling. And, and, uh, I feel like where I am now, like, obviously it's not my home, quote unquote, like the people, my family and people I grew up with aren't surrounding me exactly. Although they're not far. Um, it's still my home in that I recognize all the trees, the birds, the star, you know, it's the smells. Still my home in that way. So I do feel, and, and I'm surrounded by more like-minded people. I feel like I'm surrounded by my brethren uh, more. So I feel more at home here. I don't know. It's, it was weird. And coming here, I felt like I was visiting home. Every time I'd start coming up here, you know, I felt like I was going back to what was more familiar than where I came from. And a lot of that is Miami's culture has changed. You know, Miami is largely Hispanic. It's a Hispanic-dominated culture at this point. And I love Hispanics. Don't get me wrong. I love Hispanic culture. I think it's beautiful. They're great, awesome people. But I'm not trying to live in a Hispanic country. And I'm not trying to live as a second-class citizen in my own home. And that's what it felt like. Like, if you didn't speak Spanish, if you weren't in on their group, you weren't treated with as good service, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which is a shame. You know, that's not what America's about. It was never about that. Um, and I feel like Miami is going to have some real troubles because of that. But that's Miami, and and I, I, please do tr you know do not misinterpret my words. I love Hispanic people and their culture, but I was tired of being treated like a second class citizen. You go to a store, you're expected to speak English. Uh, I'm sorry, you're expected to speak Spanish. You know, many times where I was dealing with someone in the service industry where I could not communicate with them. Try getting in an Uber in Miami. How often are you getting someone that speaks English or that can drive? You know, and that shit builds up. Maybe there are people that can deal with that, but I couldn't. So, yeah. All right. So, all right. Let me take a sip of this beer. Got a little heated, guys. Um, like I said, this is me. This is a tough episode for me to tackle. I mean, obviously, Miami is, I guess I'm, I guess I'm starting to cover, like, reasons why I left. Like, why I was unhappy there. Um, it's freaking big. It's busy, you know, it's traffic, it's angry, you know. I have these, I, I want, I really deep, I really do wonder if my memories of Miami and South Miami in particular, my memories of it as a child, I wonder if they're accurate at all, because what I remember being taken around by my mom and my nanny, um, I call her my nanny, her name was Bessie, it was like, basically, my second mom, she raised me like a grandmother, basically, um, and, uh, 
being taken around by them, going to Publix, you know, going around town, different like small businesses, whatever. Things I remember as a kid are more similar to what my daily life is like up here in Deland or in Eustis or in town up here than it is back home. Like, I feel like Miami of my childhood is at a similar size to what these towns are up here, if that makes sense. I don't think I really put that as best as, as clearly as I could, but um, I, I have a nostalgia that comes back to me when I'm in town here. And it's not, it's a nostalgia kind of from my childhood. It's still there in Miami. I mean, I can still go to places that remind me of my childhood, right? And it's not too far gone, but I don't know. It's too big. I don't want to live in such a big place. It's, it's, it takes too long to get everywhere. You know? And that's another thing, like, I've started feeling, I guess alienation was a huge part of, like, why I decided I needed to leave. Like, I just felt like, I didn't belong. I wasn't around people that felt similar feelings that I did. Um, I started like staying home a lot. I didn't want to like be out anywhere. Like there wasn't anything that interested me. Like Miami didn't offer me much that I wanted and was interested in doing. You know, I started coming up here and saying, man, like, you know, I'd see all these like antique shops or like whatever, like hikes, rivers. Like, man, I'm surrounded by things that I want to do. And there's like, I could just wake up one day and say, man, let's do this. And I could drive and do that, you know? And I was excited by the possibility. I still am very excited by the endless possibilities of things I can explore and do here. And people must feel that way about Miami. And that's great for them. You know, I can go to this club or this nice restaurant or this whatever. Uh, But I didn't. And so I was bored. You know, and because of my boredom, I ended up entertaining some bad habits. I ended up entertaining a pretty unhealthy lifestyle and knew it. I knew that what I was doing was not healthy. Just eat it, you know, a lot of things, but inactive, antisocial, um, whatever. Um, and I knew that it had to change. So yeah, so I made a change. Man, you got, I mean, this is kind of on a, on another level, but like, so when I first got into ham radio, I think, I I don't know if I mentioned I failed my ham test. Um, Yeah, by a few points. I'm going to take it next month, hopefully pass it this time. I'm committed to doing that. Ham radio, I mean. But when I first got into the idea of, of getting into that hobby, I went to, and this was a few years back, I went to the Miami Ham Radio Club, went to one of their meetings, which is held, um, it's held in Doral at the Miami-Dade County Fire Department headquarters, and it's held in their, like, I don't know if they actually call it, like, a response room, situation room, which is this beautiful facility. It's got desks for each department of government, for each news channel, for each whatever, for each sheriff's office, whatever it is. It's got, like, all these desks with nameplates for each representative, with a computer, with a telephone. It's got television screens everywhere, maps on the wall. It's like what you see in the movies, you know, like, when shit goes down. It's like a situation room. And... The radio club held their meetings in there. And um, 
you know, this was a room for when there's some sort of natural disaster or something that happens, this room becomes engaged and it becomes lively. And from there, um, officials can control streetlights and traffic patterns and control response teams and whatever. And on the wall, as I was walking around, I saw a map. Everything in that room seemed to be focused on hurricanes and Turkey Point. <laughs> Uh, and if you don't know, Turkey Point is a nuclear power plant run, owned and run by FPNL. Um, it's located literally on the water's edge on Biscayne Bay, on Biscayne National Park, uh, in the southern kind of portion of Miami. Um, it's... Yeah, it seems like the last place that you would want to put a nuclear reactor, but... That's Miami. And yeah, it's there. There's tons of homes surrounding it. There's wildlife surrounding it. Um, there's like these mutant alligators that live in its cooling ponds. You can read about that. Uh, so yeah, uh, on the wall, I saw everything was pointed, like it was focused on, new, on uh, Turkey Point. So like obviously that was the doomsday scenario for Miami. Is like what happens when we have an issue at Turkey Point, similar to what happened in Fukushima, Japan. Um, it could happen, and there was one map in particular, in particular, that showed Turkey Point, and then it had concentric circles going away from Turkey Point, um, and it marked, you know, how many miles away from the reactor were various parts of Miami. And that puts some fear into me. You know, there's things like kind of what I think I mentioned this in another podcast. Like in order to live in a big city, there's things you have to shut out. In order to live, period, there's things you need to shut out, right? There's a, there's a degree of accepted risk that we just live with. We have to live with or, or else we'll be wrecks all day. But... In Miami, there's this kind of looming threat of a nuclear reactor in our backyard on the water's edge um, that those who are paying attention to and those who are paid to pay attention to it are very aware of. And there's no nuclear reactor here. You know, they're pretty far away. Um, man... I, I hope that nothing ever happens and, and I feel for those people that, that live near it and, you know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose to do that. It's scary. Where I grew up is pretty close to it, you know, if you were to take a, uh, a flight in a helicopter, it should take you two, two minutes maybe. I don't know. It's pretty close. So yeah, it's scary. Um, man, thinking about Fukushima, the wildest thing. When Fukushima happened, I was, the night it happened, you know, remember the tsunami hit Japan and cut out power or whatever, whatever happened, the radiate, uh, you know, the uh, radiator, the, the uh, reactor um, melted down or whatever the hell it did. It was a fucking disaster. Um, I was actually in Malibu. <laughs> at Point Magoo State Park, I think it is. Point Magoo is like a little camp area right across the from the ocean, um, PCH. 
And, uh, forget who I was with. I think I was with my buddy Cameron. Cameron Clark. And, um, man, I, we were camping that night. I think I was with Cameron or I was with Schwartz. Matt Schwartz. I was with someone. Chris Shane, maybe. And I remember we had a beautiful hike or whatever. We got set up. And it was time. I think we were out drinking beer by the fire. And then the storm kind of came in. The storm had rolled in. And so we retired to our tents. And it was just a heavy storm. Um, the whole night. Heavy rain. And what, was, what I remember about it was... Because the campsites were like in this little canyon, like this little cut into a cut, like between the mountains, just across from the beach. Mountains, I don't know what are they? Hills. Um, the wind from the storm, you know, it, it would travel through that, and you would be able to hear it as it was approaching you. And you would hear the waves too, and it would like kind of blend together. So it was like the waves crashing, and then. Second later, you would hear like the wind starting to approach, and then whoosh, you know, it hit the tent. And I just remember my tent was, I could watch the apex of it just get blown over to where it was touching the floor, you know, from the wind, and then it would rise back up, and then each gust of wind would blow it down. And I didn't get much sleep. And I believe it was a full moon that night. And then in the morning, when we got back, service I believe we had heard that was when I we had heard that uh, of, of the tragedy that happened in Japan and just in my mind whether it's true or not like I felt like that storm like while that storm was happening you know Japan was getting rocked by whatever tsunami I felt that they were connected you know, just the, just across that ocean was what was going on there so yeah um, man Turkey Point, man, Miami, dangerous scenario, rising sea levels, man, shady, shady. Uh, how about the bridge that collapsed in Miami? You know, and at, at FIU, maybe you heard about this, at FIU they built a pedestrian bridge, a brand new pedestrian bridge to connect the new dorms to the campus, uh, crossing over uh, Tamiami Trail, and, uh, a brand new bridge and they were doing uh, load testing on it while traffic was driving underneath and the fucking thing collapsed and killed a bunch of people and it's a tragedy it's awful how could that happen well Miami people are not surprised it's like Miami people there's like this culture of like ineptitude that uh, permeates our city um and we're all aware of it. And I guess people find it funny. I don't find it funny at all. I hate it. I don't want to live in it. I, I legitimately, it's costing people lives. And I don't see how it'll reverse itself. People are too laid back. There's a there's the culture of, of uh, I don't know what it is, but it's, <sighs> a lot of good people have left Miami. And in their place, We've got a lot of bozos, a lot of clowns doing jobs that they're not cut out to do. We're cutting corners, you know? I believe there was some sort of... There's also no faith that this will ever get brought to justice, you know, of course, because Miami as well. People love, you know what pisses me off? Like, there's this, like, only in Miami thing. 
and people somehow like take a weird sense of pride about that like oh only in Miami like uh whatever Miami police commissioner caught like snorting blow off his like whatever uh, desk uh, you know just the most absurd bullshit and no one's surprised and people even celebrate it it's weird I'm not into it get me out of there so yeah man this feels good kind of I feel like a little guilty that I'm like coming at everyone with these heavy heavy feelings pisses me off so I had to leave I had to leave. I remember when I first came up here, you know, in my work in Miami, um, doing property management, I'm constantly dealing with all sorts of people, right? I'm dealing with business owners, I'm dealing with tradesmen, and I'm dealing with uh, government officials, I'm dealing with, you know, various people. Uh, dealing with government in Miami is like dealing with uh, a banana republic, uh, it's like dealing with, like, these people know that they hold the power to, they hold the key to the door that you want opened, and that you have the right to have opened by law, but they're gonna take their sweet time, they're not gonna return your calls, they're gonna treat you like shit, because they have this government job, and they know that they have the power in the way between you and what you want, and they'll give it to you eventually, but they're gonna make it painful for you. I mean, I've been shouted at for no good reason, just because I came to her desk to ask about something. I've been shouted at by city officials in the town that I work in, that my family, we own property in. You know, we, we should be... There's no reason... I've done nothing wrong except to ask a question. And I was shouted at in front of others just because the lady was having a bad day. Treated like shit, blah, 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 blah. I couldn't imagine that happening here. I was so, I mean, huge, time after time, I call the government here. Not that I like government so much, but, you know, you have to have it. And if you got to have it, it might, they might as well be nice, right? And they might as well be efficient. Might as well, at the very least, return your calls or answer their phone, you know? But I remember the first times when I was calling here to get various things done in Lake County, not only was someone on the phone, calm, friendly, helpful, and knew what they were talking about, believe that. But they were they went out of their way to be helpful. They'd call me back. They'd say, hey, let me, uh, let me call you back. When, you know, they'd take my number down. Call me right back. They would go an extra mile to, like, do something they didn't have to do. I'd be happy with the first step. Then they did two and three, you know? And, man, that just makes you feel so much better. Like, it's... You live easier knowing that, like, people are on your side a little bit. There's no reason for them not to be. Man, it's like a mafia in Miami. It's really bad. It's really bad. So, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. So, faced with these situations, right, all the various things I've listed here, coming up to a place that was... Very similar, to, it still felt like home, but in place of all the negative stuff, had positivity, had nice people around, had people that I connected with, people that I felt I shared things in common with. I feel safer here. I have open space. Oh yeah, the other thing like about Miami, like man, like hurricane season in my, here's something about Miami. Two things. I always say, like, if you want to be happy in life, live in Miami for a while and then leave. 
I feel so happy here. And it's like, it really doesn't take much. Like I just need to be in a decent place and have nice people around like, and be free. Um, but the other thing, like, I feel like Miami kind of, I mentioned before, raises people to be, have respect and to love the natural world. Well, it also raises people, I feel like, to a higher degree of, of preparedness for natural disasters, right? Because we're dealing with, it's very much a part of our uh, city's history and identity um, that we're dealing with these devastating hurricanes from time to time. And, I mean, I grew up during Hurricane Andrew. I remember I was, what, I was four years old. And those memories are still burnt into my, to my brain. You know, um, it's some of my first memories is, is the eye of the storm coming and, you know, the kind of spookiness of it. And our mothers, you know, telling us, oh, you know, whatever. And the men, like, holding the door up with a mattress. I remember all this shit. And, uh... Man, Hurricane Irma, I had just, I always told me it was the best weekend of my life. The best week of my life was Hurricane Irma. Um, and not to make light of, I apologize, I don't mean to make light of <clears throat> that hurricane because it really devastated a lot of towns and, you know, unfortunately hurt a lot of people, killed a lot of people. But um, in Miami, we, we got off relatively okay. And for me, it was a blast because I got to play. Uh, I got to put all my prepper, you know, stuff that I'd been working on and learning and everything. I got to put it all into action. And my parents left town. And I was seeing this great girl. And we holed up in my parents' like big house. My buddy uh, Chase, who's just a boss, you know, spent time, you know, came and stayed with us. He was a huge help. I felt like we had like a little team. You know, I had my dog, you know. Um, man, we had so much water and food. We were all ready to go, and it was fun, man. The storm came. I remember being outside smoking a cigar or something, watching the winds. You know, it was a little shady. You know, things were... <laughs> it was pretty... <laughs> a little shady, but, man, we were watching Seagal films and shit. Like, that was... It was like sleepaway camp, but, like... Man, I got to, like, open carry, like, my pistol and shotgun and shit. Like, I like that. It's fun. And, it, and it's good to exercise that muscle because, you know, one day, God forbid, you may need it. And I feel like Miami raises some tough people because we deal with that every year. The prospect of losing power, potentially for a long time. The prospect of, you know, maybe having to protect your property. Uh, <clears throat> I'm thankful for that. I, don't get me wrong. All the negative stuff, I'm thankful for all of it. I'm thankful for the positive and the negative. I love everything about it. Um, would it be better to have more friendly people in the film circle, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. But has it put me on a better path because of it? I think so. Has it clarified who I am? I think so. Um, I'm not trying to dwell on negative stuff, uh, but for the purpose of this episode, you know, I guess it brought me down that path. So yeah, so that's Miami, and I had to leave. I had to get out of there. I was going down a negative path. Um, I was in a city that didn't serve me, and as I said in a previous episode, if not now, then when, you know? If I don't pull the trigger now and make the move that I've been wanting to make or talking about, 
I didn't want to be all talk. Man, I got to get out of here. One of these days I'm going to get out of here. You know, a lot of people say that. Well, I'm doing it. And I feel good doing it. That said, I'm hoping... So I have 46 birds coming uh, this week. I've got 30 guinea fowl hopefully arriving tomorrow. Uh, uh, Keats, they're called, little chicks. Um, So I'm locked down here for another month at the very least. But once they're raised and able to be put out to pasture, I hope... um, I hope to go home. I love home. But it's a bittersweet love. Alright guys, that's all for this time. Um, I hope I wasn't too much of a downer. I will brighten things up, probably, with the next episode. I think the next episode I'll do a... um, I'll do a uh, field recording again. It's probably in the morning. It's super hot out. Fuck that. Morning tonight. I'll wake up early and kind of update you guys with what's going on here in my project. Well, I hope I did justice to my Miami home and how it's influenced who I am and and why I'm here. Um, I hope I didn't offend anyone. That's just my experience of it. I I, I trust that. I, I know that there's plenty of people that love Miami and with good reason. It's just not my deal anymore. So, I bid you guys all farewell. It's Thursday, May 23rd, 9, 10pm. Um, I wish you guys a very good evening and hope to be talking to you again soon. Bye.